you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to Patreon.com slash Last Stand Media. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. He wants to start something. How are you, my friend? Kyle. There's something I need to tell you. I'm not like other guys. <laughs> <laughs> the doggone girl is mine. The doggone girl is mine. Doo, doo. Uh, I can't. Yeah, it's just, I'm not into that, so I gotta <laughs> talk more about that song. Oh, we'll oh, get but, but there's much, but there's much indeed much to say. Anyway, welcome one, welcome all to Knockback, our retro and nostalgia podcast. We do each and every week. You can support it on. Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. We appreciate you. Get early ad-free access to every episode of this show. Submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, today we're covering the 1982 Michael Jackson record, the seminal record, the three-time Diamond Certified record, Thriller. But before we even get into that, of course, we like to stretch our legs, see how we're doing. Dagan is my brother, and so I'm very curious about his life. <laughs> Dig, how's life, and how's everything going in your world? Terrible. It's awful. Oh, gee. oh dear. So okay. bad. The worst. Wow. Okay. I didn't anticipate it. <laughs> you know why that. I'm saying Please. that? I'm just trying to be unique. No one ever starts a show like that. Oh, okay. Everybody says, I'm doing well. I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. You know what I mean? I just wanted to I just wanted to do something a little different. Wow. So you lied. I lie. I totally lied. Everything's mm-hmm. everything's fine. Everything's Status on quo. the up and up, my friend. Just had right a little on. bowl of homemade chili before the show. Shout out to Helene. Turkey chili. Nice. Delicious. Yeah. Turkey chili is totally fine. It doesn't suffer from the dryness because it's in the liquid anyway. It's totally fine. Turkey is a totally fine, fine replacement. Absolutely. Maybe mash up a little cornbread into the chili. 
Sure. That's my thing. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, Cheese, that's great. sour cream. Uh, sour cream, I get, it depends sour on cream, my Sour cream, I can't do sour cream. You don't do sour cream on even oh, like a baked no. potato. Nothing. Yeah, sour cream is just. Sour cream's cut. It's noxic. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, dude. You may know this. I feel that way about cottage cheese. I have never even tried it. Have oh, you yeah, tried sour cream? No. Oh, yeah. I've tried sour cream. Okay. And it's like if it's in something and it's like, it's like, all right, fine. But it smells weird. And like, if it, I, I know it's in there, it's a very mental thing. But I'm the same way with cottage cheese. Like, I'm like, no, no nope. way. I'm not even going. That's a bridge too far for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. Th that and. I won't go to cream cheese either, which I know is contentious, but I won't do that it. That is contentious. I'm not a huge cream cheese guy either. I mean, it's <sighs> fine. Yeah, it's just... Ugh. Well, why would you want to do that to a bagel? <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfectly good bagel. I know. You put, put some butter on it like a normal Long Island man. <laughs> for God's sake. I was Even thinking about you. Even good on there. Because the yeah, weather's on. getting nice. It is. Here, it's, I think it's going to reach 50 degrees. It might be like 40, hovering around 48 now. It's February that we're talking, having this discussion. How is it? And I was just talking to mom yesterday. She's obviously near you. And she was saying how cold it's been down there, which always throws me. It's like, why be in Virginia, not New York or Pennsylvania? <laughs> it's just so unfair to say this. But why not be in the Northeast if the weather's going to be the same? Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know what I mean? it's, it, it, what I've realized being here is just it rubber bands a lot more. Like it's 55 degrees right now. And oh, I, wow. you know, I'm out, nice. I'm out there and basically flip flops and like my sweat, sweatpants walking the dogs because it's just like, this is great. That's beautiful. But then it'll drop to the 20s or something overnight. And then yes. it'll get back to 60. Then it'll <laughs> the go back to 35 degree swing is a bit, Yeah, it really it's happens. A bit it, much. It's, oh, absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So, uh, what's going on with you otherwise, though? Uh, nothing really. I've just been uh, working, dealing with my G.I. Joe collection here, working on some of the games and that we're working on as well. And. Yeah, nothing too interesting. You know, Mike has been making a lot of homemade bread. Oh, just wow. constantly making homemade bread, and it's awesome. Bread like, maker? Uh, she got, well, I got her, at her request, I got her a mixer. Like okay. A KitchenAid mixer. Oh, shit. For Christmas as one of her presents. That's serious and, business. Uh, yeah, and she, because she likes to cook, and so she was like, I really want to bake it. I just want to mix by hand. And then so she's just, she's making like Kaiser rolls and like everything, you know, cheeseburger buns and white wow. bread and cinnamon raisin bread. I'm like, this is great, man. How that brings the food to a whole nother dimension when you get the homemade bread. Definitely. Right? Absolutely. Definitely. What does she have? Like the KitchenAid, that, that mixer, the big heavy? Yeah, you know, like that, that mixer that would survive a nuclear apocalypse. Like They're those like kinds 75 of pounds, those things. Yeah, and they just last forever. And uh, people live and die by those. So yeah, so I've been, I've been just enjoying the bread, you know, enjoying like the bread. And otherwise, just hanging out. Some things to attend to, like you said, the weather's changing. So, you know, some home things to attend to and Absolutely. all this. We're doing Sacred Symbols Live 200 in Richmond. So we have to start preparing for that as well. Coming from up a production fast. standpoint. Yeah. I mean, it's going to sneak up. I'm, I'm a person who likes to always have things in play. Yeah. Like, just always make sure something is happening no matter what time of day it is or anything. If I can like check a box and just put something to the next phase, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do that. As everyone who works for me knows. Uh, for better or for worse so uh yeah we have a lot of things that we need to move forward with that but yeah otherwise nothing really too okay. interesting to uh to discuss all right i don't think you know the pups are hanging in there nice yeah, everyone's everyone's good good everyone's really good, good. good yeah thank you all right Dave. let's get into the topic at hand all right it's, now i'm excited to do this one this isn't our first music topic right i actually do want to say this at the top for the music for the music thing i was thinking about this yesterday okay 
I wonder how people will feel about there being more music topics. Not that we will do a bunch of them, but because I think it's an important part of our upbringing and also an important part of our lives. And I was thinking about how peculiar it is. And we've said this before, and I don't mean it to offend anyone, but it, it just is what it is. Like when someone says, I'm not, in the, I don't listen to music or I don't care. I, I'm, I, whatever. I'm like, what? That's like saying you don't read. And I'm not saying that you don't read books. A lot of people don't read books, but that you just don't read. Right. Right. Yeah. I just don't read anything. <laughs> That's pretty much the same thing as saying that you don't like or care about music, in my opinion. Do you know someone so, like that? I'm trying to think. I've met people who are totally indifferent to music. Yes. Okay. Definitely. Very definitely. Strange. Or me. I think it's cool to be into everything because I love I have a very eclectic music taste. I really do love all music, but it's kind of also like when people don't have preferences, you can tell that like if you dive deeper into me and ask me, OK, so you like everything. Yeah, I'll, I'll listen to an opera song. Or I'll listen to country or sure, what do you sure. really like? It's like, yeah, I love rock and rap rock and alternative and metal and rap. If you meet someone that says they love everything and then you dive in and they don't have a better answer. Then, you know, you're dealing with one of those people. I wonder. Then, you know. Wow. I wonder if that's a matter of upbringing, right? Because we were raised by parents that were really into music, whether it was in the car, whether it was putting the stereo on in the living room. Music was a big part of that that backdrop as young kids. So you get that, oh, this is something that's important. This is something that adds value to your life, to your experiences, inspires you, drives Dude, up I... emotion, whatever, right? So I wonder if that's a matter of that where parents just don't have the music on you know could be and yeah. maybe they don't it by there's no osmosis then you know sure it's just uh i find i find music's music is one of the great human inventions and you can't even conceptualize it really it's it's not cave drawings it's several steps beyond that and it's more special than that it 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 stops just short of the written language for me, as far as like importance. I hear that. Yeah. Like that, the, a rhythm. You know, like we feel it. Absolutely. A dog will hear that and just sit there and be like, oh, what is this noise? <laughs> and so I always, I, I'm really, and I'm a musician too. So, and that's something that's a little more rare in our family for some reason. I have no idea why. But uh, I picked up music and I sent you a video yesterday of me playing Thriller on the bass. Oh, man. Um, when, so I was get, when I was so when I was get, jealous of that, having that ability. We'll get to that. Um, yeah, well, I because I, I was just listening to the record over and over again. So I just had it in my mind when I was like sitting there last night. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about this record. And anyway, I'm, I'm saying all this to preface is saying this is the first time we're doing a record. And I don't think it'll be the last time we'll do a record. I think we can do bands. I think. We, but I really like the idea of breaking things down by record because, or album great, because. Dude. There are so many good albums and so many albums. It's not so much a thing anymore, I don't think. But front to back albums, the way they're constructed, the order of the songs, the way they sure. blend into each other. It's really important stuff. And, you know, I, I think we haven't given it its full due on this show. So I'd like to do that better. And we're going to start with one of the most famous albums of all time. 1982's Thriller from Michael Jackson. I think this is like his fifth or sixth record. But the the first huge one well i think off the wall was really big too but this was this was a major release before i was born in late 1982 i think we'll talk about it in a little while but i think six or seven of the songs on the album are official singles which is nuts there's just nothing like that That's anymore crazy and yeah i mean it, it's interesting when you think about like i can think of records that i grew up with that 
almost got there. Like Green Day's Dookie was pretty close to that. There was probably like five singles off that. Yeah. No doubt's Tragic Kingdom probably had like five or six Great singles, example. but th- we don't even really exist in that space anymore where you put out an album, it gets a lot of radio play and MTV play, then you tour, then you make another album and you do that over and over again. It's just totally different. It's totally broken. Sure. But my introduction to this record is different than yours is no doubt. And I'm curious as someone who was born in the 70s, who does remember this time, who was there when this happened, what you remember about this. And Jonathan Roberts wrote into us on Patreon. That's one of the perks of supporting us over there he says hi gang does this album bring back any great memories long car rides playing the record for the first time i have it on vinyl and my lord is it still as great as day one i must admit it really is a banger of a record and dude yeah i'm curious what you remember about this day 1982 i mean yeah you said it we we've talked about music before on the show talk about a soundtrack to a movie we'll talk about our favorite songs sometimes nostalgic songs our favorite albums a list you know listing our favorite albums of a specific specific genre specific decade but this is the first time we're breaking down the same album you and i which is really exciting and i think honestly i could not pick a more iconic album to start with you could think of other iconic albums right you think of uh, any beatles album sergeant peppers Think of Prince, maybe Purple Rain, something, something especially nostalgic from the 80s. Dark Side of the Moon. Perfect, right? right? But this one, for some reason, maybe it's just our generational, um, you know, where we, where we fell generationally or whatever, but this is the one that really has so much meaning. And I can't, I mean, Michael Jackson, first of all, it's, it, this, is, this is a pretty crazy thing to think about. Michael Jackson was maybe the first artist musically that i saw have universal appeal to everybody in my life even as a kid like dad was really into classic rock neil young zeppelin sabbath hendrix all this other kind of stuff and he would you know you could catch him listening to michael jackson dating back to off the wall in the 70s right late 70s my uncle mike same thing big kiss fan a little younger than mom and dad genesis he was a huge Bruce Springsteen guy, but he, you know, he had off the wall on vinyl, you know? So Michael Jackson was the first one where I recognized, like, wow, this music is, is, is poppy. It's top 40, but it kind of has this universal appeal, young people, all that kind of stuff. But Thriller in 1982, I was eight years old when this came out. I would be, I'd be nine in another week or so, but Michael, not just this album, but by this time, and I think by, by proxy of this album too, or as, as a result of this album, Michael Jackson was everywhere. This was the Michael Jackson era. I think you could even argue to say he was probably the most famous person in the world from this time to like the mid eighties to maybe even mm. the late eighties. He was the, probably yeah. the most recognizable, most famous, one of the most talented. And I, what, you know, one thing I wanted to remember to say, Kyle, at the top, and I wasn't sure how far you wanted to go with this, but in 2022, we're having this conversation. You bring up Michael Jackson. It has a whole nother resonance with everything that allegedly happened with him and being a pedophile and all the things, you know, of course he passed away, passed away at the age of 50. He's gone now. He can't attest to his crimes or alleged 13 crimes years ago. I mean, it's been a long time. Man. Yeah, dude. You know? That's another thing. And also yeah. just recognizing that he died so young, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, as I prepared for this topic, I wanted to educate myself a little bit more on the Michael Jackson controversy because I know bits and pieces, but I didn't follow it religiously and I don't want to make any 
any kind of knee-jerk reactions. I wanted to kind of bring myself up to speed a little bit. So I watched the Leaving Neverland documentary mm-hmm. on HBO, just four right. hours, and kind of a grueling watch, not a very good documentary. But I thought it would bring me up to speed or maybe establish my feelings a little more. And I have to say this at the top. Innocent to proven guilty and all that stuff. I appreciate all of that stuff. I go in for that. I subscribe to that. But I think for me personally, everybody has to kind of have their own personal thing when it comes to this sort of stuff. But when it's children at the center of a crime or an alleged crime or something, for me, there's no real statute of limitations on that. It's the most heinous thing imaginable, right? To victimize a child, you take into account their innocence, the fact that they, there's a certain amount of helplessness, taking advantage and all that kind of stuff. So I go in kind of feeling like you, the general you, have to go in feeling like Michael Jackson's guilty. I mean, I, that's just how I feel because God forbid the damage he wrought and everything like that or the alleged damage he wrought on these people, on these families and all this kind of stuff, even though I guess we'll never really know for sure, right? But- what I would like to do, if it's okay with you, Colin, if it's okay with our audience, is to go in and talk about Michael Jackson, which is kind of a difficult thing to do. This is easier said than done, but let's try it. Go in and talk about Michael Jackson in a from a 1982 perspective, before any of this stuff became, before this any light was shed on any of these I controversies. Agree. You know, go back and it's hard to separate the art from the artist when it comes to stuff like that. Look at Bill Cosby. Could we ever do a Bill Cosby? We would do a, a co- without the Bill Cosby controversy, Cosby show episodes of Knockback would definitely be at play. And maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't, you know, we haven't really talked about that. But it's a very difficult thing to navigate because it's very hard to separate the artist. And we've talked about this on the show before, but it's very hard to separate the artist from the art when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I think in a nostalgic sense and just celebrating something that was such a pop culture iconic thing from the music to the videos to MJ himself with the merchandise and dolls and products and pins and the fashion and all that kind of stuff. If we could just examine it from that perspective, I think it's better than getting into all of the other things, which I'm very, um, it's very upsetting for me, that kind of stuff. So how do you feel about that over in an overarching sense? Yeah, it's it's funny you bring this up because Clint wrote in. I mean, it's not funny. I mean, obviously, this was going to come up. He, he said, so the HBO documentary Leaving Neverland pretty much confirms this guy was a pedophile. How does this affect your enjoyment of him? Now, I want to say a couple of things at the top. First of all, I was going to save this to the end of the conversation, but I actually think this makes more sense to just okay. nip it in the bud now. Sure. So good. So that's fine. I watched that documentary, too, and I was when it came out and I was stunned by it. And it's stunning. The thing about that documentary is that a lot of credible people don't think that that documentary is fully telling the truth. And I do know that there are some things that would suggest that maybe one of them is lying, at the very least, about some stuff. But you made the point, we don't, we're never going to know. Ever. And... It's just it's unknowable. It's going to be an unknowable, anthropological, obscure, yeah, sociological story. One Which makes day. it That's so just... tragic. And we're never really going to know. No. And even if Michael Jackson was alive, we may never know. Sure. I think his death stymied what would have consumed him today. Already. Absolutely. And I don't think it'll I think it allowed us to just stop at that point and be like, well, this is an interesting 
question. But we're never going to know. People are always going to claim it didn't happen. People are always going to claim it didn't happen. Michael Jackson gets a pass. I think that's kind of what society has said because his music is still everywhere. And I, I don't want to use this as, an, as a, a pure example because it's, it's different in some ways. But I brought up the band Lost Prophets that I really used to love when I was younger. Really loved that oh, band. Right. They're, I remember they're, they're a Welsh band. Sure. And their singer was arrested and tried and convicted of raping babies. I mean, can you imagine? And That's you can't, insanity. and I was like, well, I can't listen to Lost Prophets anymore. Like, how could you even do that? And, and I think about all the tragedy around that, not only for the victims, the families, sure. the women, all, women also went to prison because they were basically in love with this guy, giving them access to the kids. My it's a God. fucked up story if you go read that's about it. That's dark. That's some dark shit. It's dark as hell. <laughs> and so there's all this tragedy around it, right? It, it ruins that, that there's six other people in the band. They can't, they're done. Like that, that whole stream of, you know, there's no commerce around their music. Right. It's done. It's finished. You know, now they've, 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 I think, made another band. I haven't followed it really. But I bring that up as a point to say, I, I've dealt with art that I cared about and, and loved and I felt like had conclusive evidence. Like it was conclusive. Like the British people said, like, this man is guilty. They, they put him away and it's like, OK, Lost Profits is out. And it's interesting because I think I might have brought this up at some other point, but I just stopped listening to them, obviously. And right. they were removed from Spotify and everything else. But about a, maybe less than a year ago, I went when I was working out, I just went and looked up their record on YouTube. One of their records. and I just listened to it for a little while. And I'm like, what a shame, man. You know, like this is impossible. It's impossible. And I, I, I know that some people feel that way about Michael Jackson, but it feels to me more inconclusive in some respect. And I think that there, Michael Jackson is so broad a topic that you can really get into the nitty gritty of all these different things and never touch on it. And yeah. I agree with your point that maybe we should just be observing this from a 1982 perspective. If we can not excusing what seems to have happened or what may have happened, Absolutely not no, way. but rather yeah. that we don't have all the information. And one of the things that I think we do know about Michael Jackson, or at least I feel like we know is you can tell how Michael Jackson got fucked up and twisted throughout his entire life. The, you know, his father, I mean, I remember the, those VH1 documentary or the, remember the VH1 like dramas? Yo, sure. That they used to do. And like, they had a really great one about Michael Jackson and the Jackson five. And that taught me a whole lot about, I was like, holy shit, man, this guy's dad was nuts. Joe yeah. Jackson. I think his name was. Yeah. It, absolutely bonkers took advantage of all of his kids was like a drill sergeant with them michael jackson was so talented that he was taken advantage of from a very young age all the way up to all these and so you can understand i don't want to say you can understand you can get how a man like that who has been twisted and morphed and clearly like tried to remove his blackness physically and yeah. did all this crazy shit yeah that it's like, yeah, he had no childhood. He no. had no normalcy. He had no control. Right. He had no anything. And so I think that that in some way is the more interesting analysis because we can agree on that. Right. And so maybe that's Absolutely. a more interesting thing to talk about. So I agree with you, generally speaking. And I loved what you said earlier about the eclectic nature of Michael Jackson's audience, because Jamie Anderson wrote in about this. He says, as a metalhead, I always kept my love for Jackson's music to myself as I, I thought I would be laughed out of the room for liking shitty pop music. Turns out he is almost completely loved in the metal scene, and I was worried for nothing. I guess once in a lifetime, musical ge geniuses transcend genres and fan bases. There's no doubt about this. Of course. Michael Jackson to me, Dig, and I want to throw it back to you, represents... He's not the only one. There's many 
black artists in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, certainly talk about maybe Hendrix and some others, but there's something about Michael Jackson that is special because he is black, because rock music, and I think that it's rock, pop rock, right? In my opinion. Absolutely. It's nothing yeah. like it, really. It's not, it's not just pop music. It's not Ariana Grande or something like that. It's real musicians. Yes. Like, they're people, like, big people played on this That's record. A great point. You know? Like some of the most famous studio musicians ever played on this record. Um, you know, Sugarfoot, I think, was on this record and like guys from Toto. And I, and I think someone actually wrote in about this and others. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, it, it's an it's it's an amazing collection of music. And I think that Michael Jackson's blackness in some ways is an important focus on this because rock music, like I was saying, has all of its roots in black music. And at some point now, early progenitors of rock, like mainstream rock, we know this, like the Beatles and others, the Beach Boys were very open about that. That's what that's what we listen to. But at some point, with the exception of Hendrix and a few other limited examples, sure. rock became white. Now, that's fine. That injected its own sort of culture into it. Right. But I think by the time it ping pongs back to people like Michael Jackson. It's like, OK, now it's your turn again. And what I think he does is he takes the predicate of rock music as it existed and pop music as it existed in that late disco period going into the 80s early synth new wave all of this and he's like now i'm going to make it black again and i think that there's something to be said about that i think that that's a really interesting thing it's the part of the the cultural fusion of thing of everything is what's so important that's why i hate the idea of cultural appropriation i just i'm like no that's not even a thing the idea of culturally appropriating things is is great because it means that you're now injecting something new and something interesting into it so to me listening to michael jackson is kind of like a window into the late 70s early 80s black musical experience as now they're like okay we're gonna rest this back this this arena rock garage well it's not garage rock yet but it's arena rock it's uh what we would look at as classic rock now and all this and i'm going to like put a spin on it i'm going to take some of this from the synth new wave shit i'm going to have a little bit of a punk rock style with some of the skits and some of the spoken word stuff i'm going to bring a real r&b spirit especially you know a dancey spirit from the jackson five and the things we we were doing at that time as a family and that's kind of how i see this record i don't does that resonate with you at all absolutely i mean i love the sentiment at the at the core of that which is good music is just good music and even though you might be a hard rocker or a metalhead or something that you could just appreciate as a musician, you could just appreciate good music, even if it isn't the genre you tend to align yourself with, which is awesome. And I love also the sentiment of the Beatles and the early, you know, the earlier rockers coming, you know, making a big point, especially the British bands of com making a big point of being inspired by black music i know robert plant and zeppelin and page and they came out of the same thing with citing gospel and r&b early r&b and motown and howling yeah, wolf and all that kind of stuff is and cream like, was the same yeah uh, huge, Clapton and those guys were the same inspiration and that fueling your music even though the music you're doing is kind of has a, takes a different spin or goes off in a different direction in a different genre that it could be all tied into just being good music. And I love also the part of this, this album specifically of, you know, tearing, really trying to bust out and evolve from, from disco. And Michael Jackson, I think at the core of that, besides being a brilliant entertainer and dancer, just musically his tastes and his skills, even, even someone who didn't supposedly read music or write music, just having the ability 
to know it was good and to create music that was so fresh. And as you said, Kyle, like really in a class by itself, especially this album. And I was surprised by a lot of these things because we know we go back to the 60s and 70s with the Jackson 5 and little MJ and that band being the youngest brother of five and his musical career starting with that and his recognition and his fame. But this being his sixth studio solo album dating all the way back to 72, I didn't even know that because my first familiarity with Jackson was off the wall in the late 70s again and then how it kind of becomes Thriller and then by the time Thriller comes out, by the time people digest Thriller, it hits, people, it has a little time to seep in. He's, he's massive. I mean, he's everything musically. He's at the center of, like you said, not only top 40, not only pop, but really rock music and the direction music would go into the 80s and not only musically, but with the advent of music videos with MTV. So this is a really multi-pronged discussion. And again, very exciting and exciting that we're talking about this as the first album because I think it's important in so many ways. I love how you said about this this particular record as being a touchstone in some way because it's important to inst- from an American point of view. This is American music, so we'll talk about it from from this point of view. There are fewer than one hundred diamond certified albums ever. That's insane. And Michael Jackson's this album went diamond three times, and that's ten million each. And that's just so that's just sales in the United States. But imagine selling a record seventy or seventy five million times. And also imagine all the it's everyone knows Michael Jackson. I, I can't imagine everyone. you would go almost anywhere in the world. I, I maybe you can go to Siberia or Central Asia or something like that. But I think you can probably go anywhere in Southeast or East Asia, China, Japan, anywhere in Russia, any well in you know in the Western part of Russia, Western Europe, pretty much all of Africa, all of South America, all of the United States, Australia, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone knows who Michael Jackson is. Absolutely. Right. And it's an icon. So it, I really want to get your take, Dagon, on what you remember from this era and going from off the wall when you were much younger to this. I mean, 1982, especially when it came out in 1982, you would have been turning nine or yeah, nine, yeah, I think. Turning nine. Yeah. So that's memorable. You can remember that. I, I, I love what you said, too, about music videos, which I think were so important. I think some people hit at just the right time for to take advantage of music videos. I also think that music videos ruined some people at that time, too. We brought up Christopher Cross, who I think is like one of those guys who just got ruined by music videos because he just doesn't really look the part. Right. Right. And Michael Jackson Great. did look the part. Absolutely. And um, like, I love Christopher Cross. I have this weird fascination with him. <laughs> and you know that it's just like he's a kind of an overweight, kind of goofy looking white guy with curly hair. And yeah, the looks don't match a bit. the talent. No, you know, the, the level of talent. Right. It's like that's not going to translate well to when you want people to watch, you know, Tony. Ba- Remember, like Tony Basil or whatever. Right. Absolutely. Yo, Mingy, you're so fine. You're so-. Like when you think about that, that early video, that's like that's who you're looking for. Absolutely. You know, some, some little hottie or something like that. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. 
Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. So what do you remember about this? I mean, what what do you remember about this album coming out? And um, I was surprised to read, I have to find this, yeah, that the original single was The Girl Is Mine, which I... I was like, what? The number one. That's single. maybe the. I no offense, but that may be the worst song on the record, in my opinion. I I just. I can't wait to get to that song. I was really shocked by that. Billie Jean was second. Yeah. And then Beat It was third, and then they didn't get to Thriller, which in which was until 1983, until the late 1983, it was the last one. I'm surprised by that. Want to be starting something is probably my favorite song on the album. Oh. I love. I have a real fascination with first songs on records. I, I love I think there's something about them that captures me because there's a certain something about them typically like they're bouncy and they're they're getting your attention and all that. And I just always loved first songs. But what do you remember about this time and the way it stretched out? I'm so, I, It's so interesting that Thriller's seminal single was like an afterthought. Is that crazy? Yeah, it's a, it, it almost doesn't even make any sense because you would think that. Yeah, you, you especially with the record coming out in November of 1982, you think like, yeah, we have a great song we can play during Halloween, you know, and yes, and tease the album and shit like that. It's very weird, very very weird. Missed yeah, Halloween, and not only that, the video missed Halloween in 1983. They yeah, did it twice. They missed with the yeah. song, then they missed with the video. It was very strange timing. Now, of course, Halloween is not the same without the song, without the imagery, without the video, right? Halloween would never be the same after whatever it was, December 83. <laughs> it's, you can't have Halloween without that song, without that imagery, without that video, yeah. without MJ dressed like a zombie. But I love what you said earlier in the conversation, Kyle, about, you know, every, that, that type of album where every song's a banger, right? It's like seven out of nine songs on this album were singles and I would argue that eight out of nine songs on this album are very good. There's probably only one dud for me on this whole album. We'll talk about that later, I think. But I wasn't you'd think about thriller, think about the iconic music, think about the iconic legendary videos. I was also trying to channel and thinking back to nineteen eighty two, just the era in general, the sights and sounds, what everything looked like. I think, again, after the first initial weeks of this album seeping down into the bloodstream of not only the country, but the world, obviously. And once that osmosis took place, Michael Jackson was everywhere. You got in the car, the song was on the radio. You flipped on MTV, the video was on MTV. The video was on your television set. MTV only came about a year earlier. So this was at the advent and the inception of music television, But then you went into the store, there was Michael Jackson's jacket and the whole fashion line. You went into the flea market, it was posters, MJ posters, MJ pins, Michael Jackson dolls, Michael Jackson toys. The only thing, this is an interesting part of the conversation for me and how it all connects, because the only thing I could think about musically that had that sort of hold on society, on people, beyond just the music, but just everything about it was, of course, the Beatles, and then in the 70s with Kiss, which was very strange with how that appealed to kids, and there was kids, you know, Kiss toy lines and action figures and dolls and plastic guitars and posters and how, you know, six-year-old Gen Xers like myself 
loved Kiss, but then you think about the contemporaries of Michael Jackson, right? Madonna came just a little later. You think of other iconic acts, musical acts of the 80s. You think of Bruce. You think of Billy Joel, who, of course, dates back to the 70s. You think of Madonna, Prince. You think of every all those acts, right? Yes, huge, sold-out concerts, platinum albums, music, iconic music videos that we'll remember forever, but... They didn't fill the toy aisles like Michael Jackson did. He had that extra thing, that extra component mm. Mm. that made everybody fascinated with him. And I remember that era specifically where you would walk into the flea market and 80% of the merch was Michael Jackson, whether it was a, a, a glove or a jacket or a pin, a button, a poster, a t-shirt, whatever it was. And I remember very specifically thinking it was girly at first. When Thriller came out and everybody was freaking out, and Helene and our sister Dana and everybody was rocking the Michael Jackson pins on their jackets and everything. I remember thinking like, that's a girl thing. And I think I remember thinking back to Menudo and I don't know if new edition came along yet, but I remember thinking this was kind of a boy bandish thing. And I don't know if I was tying that into Jackson five or I might not even known about the Jackson five yet or realized he came out of that legacy or whatever. But I remember that day at the store where I was like, all right, this is awesome. And I got a pin. I got a Michael Jackson pin, one pin, a button that I wore on my little denim jacket. And it took hold of me. Like I couldn't resist. I couldn't hold out anymore because I thought it was so awesome. And that was the first time I ever got that into a musical act or became a fan to a certain level as I did with Kiss. But Kiss was uh, came out of Uncle Mike who kind of introduced me and gave me his old vinyls and kind of introduced me to that whole world, waited for them to come on TV at night and play on a late show or something. MJ was like the second iteration of that for me. And it was a whole different kind of music and it was kind of a solo act. So it wasn't even like a a thing with the Beatles or Kiss where you're celebrating this whole band. It was a solo thing. And for my generation, dude, it was just everything. It was just wanting to, you know, be like him. And I think by the time... The album was out for like a year. That Christmas of 83 is when I got the Michael Jackson jacket. I got the black one. I thought the black one would be a little more, a little less offensive and a little less Mm. ostentatious. So I got the black instead of the red. I even got the glove. Now, I never wore the glove. I never had the audacity to wear the glove. But I was hook, line, and sinker for Michael Jackson. And it wasn't just the music. I just thought he was, I don't know if it was the dancing. I don't know if it was the music videos or just the whole package the whole performance, the whole the whole gig, it was just like, I'm, I'm in, and I want to celebrate this, and I want to be a part of this. I want to kind of rock what he looks like. I, and this dovetailed with, with early hip-hop and breakdancing and parachute pants and all that kind of stuff, so it was all kind of mixed in together where it was like that, you know, wearing bandanas and animal prints and all that kind of stuff. It, was all, it all became a very 80s thing, but I think Michael Jackson was sort of like a big part of the catalyst for that you know a lot of that stuff in culture came out of michael jackson and that was a big part of the conversation back then man he was just it was everything it was everywhere and we never got sick of it that's the other thing well i think it's it's easy to not get sick of someone who releases thriller and then releases bad and then releases you know a record like dangerous and then you get into kind of the weird stuff. Stays of awesome. For a long time. Yeah, he he's a phenomenon and 
it's it's hard to get like you can't argue about the staying power of just good music. No, still to this day, no one really gets tired of it. If you hear Billie Jean or Beat It or especially because a lot of those songs start with like really iconic. It's it's and we'll get into the music, the mechanics of the music because someone wrote in about that. But it's it's so it is beautifully written to just catch you. And then that second guitar comes in, right? And it's just like it's just perfectly written. And and then you and then you get to Michael. And then he keeps you and he and that's the catch, right? You know, like and then stringing you along for yeah, See, this is right, what I wanted. This is important yeah. for you because not only were you this album predate you by two years but i wanted your musical perspective because i'm a musical layman and you're a musician so that was one of the fascinating parts of having this conversation with you colin will bring a lot of texture to this talk because you know music and you know you know like you're saying building and i'm, I'm sure quincy jones is a big part of this being a legendary music Huge. producer that knows mm-hmm. music and knows how to create something that's going to appeal to the masses so yeah, yeah so I wanted to actually let's go into this. Diego Romero wrote in. Yo, Diego said, hello, Moriarty Brothers. As a musician, I am so excited to hear what you guys have to say about this classic iconic record. To me, Thriller as an album is a masterclass in performance, songwriting, production, musical arrangement, engineering, mixing, marketing, showmanship, etc. The credits and names on the album are absolutely out of this world. Quincy Jones, as producer, is widely known. But I wanted to give a shout out to maybe lesser known names. Stephen Lukather, the guitarist from Toto. Greg Philogenes, I, I, oh, Philogenes, I think is how it is. That's Stevie Wonder's keyboardist. Oh, wow. Bruce Sweden as recording engineer and mixer. My question really pertains to creative pursuit. Rumor has it that Bruce Sweden did 91 mixes for Billie Jean, only to end up using the second mix for the final record. Do you guys have any funny stories that relate to editing and uh, iterating a creative project so much that you lose the plot? And what the most, what's most important, only to later realize that all you had to do is trust your original creative instinct and not overthink things so much. That's much awesome. love to all the LSM crew and listeners for being such an amazing community. Oh, thank you very much. I like this song. Or I like this uh, question. Thank you, Diego, for writing awesome in. Stuff. Not only give a shout out to some of the awesome people. Toto. I love Toto. I think some of some of our fans know that I'm a big Toto fan, but they met as studio musicians. And that's why they're so good, because people like that are playing on these records very quietly on these great Madonna records and these great not Prince, really, but great Madonna records and great uh, Michael Jackson records that's and so awesome. on and so forth. So. I wanted to bring this up because you and I are both creative people. But one of the things I noticed in um, in listening to the record is just really how amazingly produced it really is and how much of a how much of a amazing feat that was in 1982. It's kind of I don't want to say trivial. It's not trivial, but it, it is kind of trivial to mix music today. Like you have to have a good ear for mastering and you need your audio engineers and they can make good money doing it right. But People can sit there with an M box and a guitar hooked into it and do something that's like listenable. That doesn't sound like it was recorded over a tape or something like that. And that's what I think I'm most impressed with by this. That's the same reason why I'm really impressed with with um, with bands like like uh, Devo, because it's like they were doing things that were never really done and finding sound that really had never existed before and making it so tight and so beautiful and what i loved about quincy jones as far as i can tell with his production style and this is everything is there are horns and everything but they're horns it's not synth there are there are percussive elements and layers to the songs that go way beyond just a drum kit and they're really played 
and you can tell that it's probably not on a loop. And I've always been fascinated by how bands and acts back in this day and even earlier worked with this stuff. For instance, Queen is fa- has famously talked about all the production techniques that they had to do to get their sounds. But Bohemian Rhapsody was basically recorded so complex oh, manual, b- manually, right? They didn't do this with computers. They were taking the tape and then putting it at a very specific spot days, dude. and then like doing and then being like, that's how, you know, like the Magnifico, that part sure. like where like they did that by recording over it over and over and over that's and over again insane. and then putting, you know, putting the layers into it. Right. And you're kind of closer to that than you are to where we are today in 1982. And that's what I think makes this so impressive is that the, the, the album sounds incredible. It's so clean. And there is a there is a punk rock aesthetic that is popular at this time and remains popular. That is the exact opposite. But it is such a tight production that I can't get over how how uh, surgical it is. And my introduction to this, because I, I don't know that anyone, I, at least I don't remember when I was introduced to Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was just kind of there. Yeah. Right? Like he just You're always right, existed. Sure. And Bad came out when I was three, like three. I don't yeah. really remember that. I actually remember what I remember. That record is actually the Weird Al cover. I remember that video. Like that video is so good for fat. We got it's like it's so that. it's so funny. Um, I love Weird Al. He's great. So, great. but but for me, I I don't know when I was introduced to him, but I remember when I was introduced to really listening to him, not just hearing him on the radio, not just knowing his music. And it was actually when Alien and Farms Smooth Criminal came out. Smooth Criminal's not on this record, but that cover from their album um, anthology is, in my opinion, better than the original song. I know that's sacrilegious to a lot of people. A lot of people do feel that way, though. But that's a good cover. Real, but I think it introduced an entire group of kids that were born maybe to alt rock and were beholden to these different genres. They're like, oh, no, go listen to this. And a few bands were doing it at the, at the time, like Orgy, which is I don't think even exists anymore. They covered Blue Monday and that got you to go back and look at, you know, some new wave that I never heard of and so on and so forth. Uh, Limp Biscuit covering Faith there by George Michael. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of this was happening at the time. I mean, that was Limp Biscuit's first single. So I think of that Alien Ant Farm song and I think I was going I think I was in 11th grade at that time. And I remember going on Napster and downloading songs and getting into all of that and then really discovering what I would consider like he has a a pantheon of I think like half a dozen really big songs and then I think underneath that are another 20 or so songs that everyone knows yes but that they, that you don't they're not Billy Jean and Thriller and stuff but they're like you want to start you want to be starting something and stuff like that and that's when I started getting into those different songs and going into college and being introduced to even more and more and realizing, I think, what what the listener had said earlier, which is like everyone likes Michael Jackson. There's almost nothing to be ashamed of. I remember feeling a similar way about liking hip hop when I was a kid and 311 being my way into accepting and understanding truly what rap is. It wasn't it was because of that band and others in the new metal scene, I guess, where I was like, I'm going to give this other stuff a chance and see it for what it is. And it ends up being some of my favorite music. So I really feel like. Michael Jackson's introduction to me was was over time and then listening to Thriller just all the way through for the first time maybe since college or something like that when I would put it on in the background I was really caught up with how extraordinary the track list is and I wanted to ask you this next question is from Corey Brown yo Corey he says greetings you two pretty young things where do I even (laughs) start with this album 
I was six when it came out, and I was already a big Michael Jackson fan who regularly played a copy of Off the Wall on my Fisher-Price oh. record player. This album sent me into a full-on obsession. I had the black zipper jacket. I collected the Michael Jackson trading cards. I had the Human Nature poster in my room. I even sequined my own glove, which I would later use to wave to Michael during a victory tour show at Rich Stadium. Oh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's a couple of years ago. My wife and friends and I were trying to name the best three song run on any album back to back to back. Mm. Which album has the best three songs in a row, even Mm. though they span both sides of the album, which may or may not be cheating. I'd say Thriller, Beat It, and Billie Jean are pretty hard to top, especially if you factor in the impact of the music videos. What say you? This is a great question. That's a great question. Because that's something that struck me as well when I was actually looking at the track list. I'm like, holy shit. Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean are all back to back to back. And there are some examples in my discography of music that I listen to where I'm like, no, there are better three or four run song runs than this, but not more famous. And if and me, I'm saying better from my perspective, like, I sure. think of th- there's a actually I want to bring it up. Uh, I, I have it up on uh, Spotify. There's a, re- a band I really love called Mew and they released a record in 2005 called uh, The Glass Handed Kites. And there's a, re- a run of songs in that Apocalypse So Special and The Zookeeper's Boy that are actually probably I was thinking about this question, probably my favorite run of back to back to back songs in any record. But that's an obscure thing or kind of obscure. This is no doubt as far as mainstream music is concerned a back to back to back absolute masterclass which is why it's so surprising that it took them so long to mine those songs as as singles do you feel like those might be the best three song back to back back to back to back songs as presented on an album maybe ever i can't think of a better one off the top of my head it's a great question it's a great point i'm sure if i don't have the beatles discography or their track mm, listings yeah, in front of me, but that might be a contender if you go and look into the white album or sergeant peppers or something yeah sergeant pepper sergeant pepper uh a little help for my friends right are they in a row and yeah let me look real quick if they are that would certainly be a contender yeah let me see here. Yeah, it's Sar- Oh, no. Yeah. Sergeant Pepper with a little help from my friends. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. That's pretty that's good. Huge. That I mean, would be a runner good. up if not. If yeah. The, I mean, but that that is a great point. That is now I think this kind of goes from side one with Thriller at the end of side one. Right. And then it goes on to side two for the next two for Beat It and Billie Jean. Right. Well, as, as it was on the on the vinyl. Right. On the, or vinyl, the tape. Right. The original or the, the original run. Right. But come the mid to late 80s, this isn't That's su- a, a super problem anymore. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I like the way it's bookended by, I would argue, the two strongest songs. I Beat It, we'll talk about Beat It at some point today. But yeah, Beat It just became, Beat It was the first, maybe the first song I can remember. And this might just fall into my generation. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about Beat It. Yeah, talk yeah. about Beat It, please. That's yeah. the first song. As I was, It's so funny, Kyle. As I was writing about this, first of all, what you said earlier, I'm very proud of you and your generation for kind of going back and charting the waters of finding something and then going back and digging for the source material or going back and seeing a cover and then saying, I want to check out the original. Cause I will argue that you might be the last generation to actually do that where it was like, it seems like, and I'm not saying it to our younger listeners. Listen, you could argue with me if you want, but that sort of thing to take the initiative to do that Kind of speaks to kind of speaks to being an old soul a little bit. So I think that's super cool. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it. I, I, I was going to say real quick, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. you know, the it's it's my life by uh, Talk Talk, you know, the 80s oh, sure. band, no doubt covered that. Yeah. You know, and I met multiple people that are like, oh, I didn't know that was a cover because you like, don't even know because yeah, you, like, fell, you not know that's like, you that's fell between albums. You fell between yeah. Thriller and Bad 
our sister Allie fell between off the wall and thriller. So you're kind of coming into this world at a different time. Then you got to go back and investigate. It's like it's like I, my generation with the Beatles. We didn't know. I you know by the time I was born, the Beatles were done. So it's like we got that through our parents. But you know the the crazy thing about this, Kyle. Before I talk about Beat It, is yeah. as I was writing about each song and what I felt, what I remembered, how I liked it. One thing that came to the forefront for me with, you know, we know Michael Jackson. We know his genius as a performer, of course, as one of the consummate dancers ever, super just naturally talented at that and gifted. But two things kind of came to the forefront for me, and I realized I'm kind of on board for Michael Jackson's voice. I think he has a beautiful voice and a very distinctive voice. And what I love the most about his music, and it's especially obvious on this album, on Thriller, is the soulfulness. You, when he sings, you buy it. You just believe it. It doesn't even matter what the emotion is. There's a range of emotions on this album, from ballad to something that's a little more badass to something that's a little more catchy and upbeat. You just buy it. There's a real genuine soulfulness and sincerity. Michael Jackson brings it. You know, I, And I don't know if it's just in the recording booth. I never saw him live. That he could, he could fake it, type of thing or if he really it's a very weird musical gift and i think a rare thing to have that level of believability that when he when he's singing about being in pain he he really feels like he's in pain when he's singing about taking exception to something and being angry you really buy it you really there's a real soulfulness at the core of his music and then i thought about the albums before and the albums after and that's that's a thread that runs through it beyond just this album which is really cool the unfortunate thing for Beat It is I think just because of my age and the amount of airplay it got and everything like that, I think what ended up happening was it got so overplayed, I heard it so many times, that it almost became a cliche, an audio cliche for the song, but also the video. And then it kind of flied in the face of Weird Al for me. And again, this is a very generational thing for somebody now being 48 years old. That honestly, as the consummate Gen Xer, I can't even hear Beat It without thinking of Eat It <laughs> and then imagining the Eat It video. Right. It almost kind of so, it so almost kind of tainted the entire thing. And Weird Al's brilliant. I love I love it. This was his first this was probably his first, at least that we realized at my age, his first iconic parody. And it's got just as emblematic as the real song in the real video. So th maybe that's why I feel like it's like a little bit more of a joke now. Like beat mm. it's almost just like it's a cliche. It feels like almost. Yeah. I think it's the weakest of those three songs. If, I think so if, too. Yeah. Book ended by the strongest, which is fortunate. Right. You know, and then you got the weakest one. But it is iconic and it's legendary and it's one of those songs that just transcends time. It's time I mean I think the whole the whole album is timeless. It's also one of those things, it's one of those songs, one of those creations that's so famous worldwide, you could, you, it, it, it almost has no equal in that regard, outside of maybe a Beatles song, outside of something that's that iconic. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully 
done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Let's talk about the title track. I mean, obviously, this is the, the sixth single from the album, so they didn't know what they had. But Fred Denny wrote in, said, hello, brothers. How do you feel about the music video for the song Thriller? The dance has become a cultural phenomenon with the growth of flash mobs. My mom's small town of Regals, Regalsville, Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. The yearly Halloween flash mob usually ending with that song. It's Not interesting. that far from here. I, I, I the uh, I, that claw thing that they do. I, <laughs> I hate it. It just always bothered me. Even since I was a little kid, I just don't like it. But but it's very interesting. Like. I love music videos. I really do. I feel like music videos are a dead art and you, they're still on YouTube and stuff. I, I really love just even I, we all know they're faking it, but I love watching bands play their music. And the idea that if you go back to pre MTV music videos of which there are actually many, they just yeah. were promoted in different ways and stuff. It's usually the bands playing and it's not really that crazy. Obviously the Beatles were a major exception to that, but with, with a lot of the ethereal sure, kind of stuff that they were point. doing, but it's interesting that, they finally or not finally, but came to this conclusion that we can take this song that already has this high production value, this almost this beyond music value with the 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 VO and the, the sound effects and how long the song is. And it's almost like a story and, a, and an experience that, again, the timing of MTV coming around and becoming prevalent along with this video, along with Michael Jackson, I think very cleverly later on getting in bed with big corporations to even make the music more prevalent companies like Pepsi and others. Although I think that would come a little later. It just, uh, to your point, always on the forefront, it was always there, but there's no denying that the quality was really, really high. And I'm wondering what you remember about that thriller video specifically, because it's, it's not just one of those videos that I like of the band playing. It's, it's more than that. And I guess what I'm saying is recently, as you know, I, I commissioned a painting from the basis of dredge, uh, Dredge is one of my favorite bands and I, I, he's a painter and he, he's awesome. He paints surrealism, which is like my favorite. And he, uh, I asked him to paint my favorite song. I was like, you're in only instructions. My favorite Dredge song is Sanzen. And I was like, I just want you to paint what the song looks like to you. And he understood exactly what I meant. And then he delivered this amazing painting that's in my house now. It's awesome. And so, it came I, out and awesome. so I commissioned another one for another song. And to me, I'm like, this is what art is. Paintings are good. Music is good. The sculpture is good. But what's really interesting is when you can pop more out of it and get 
and cross these wires and become human. That's what I was saying earlier is there's something human about all of this. And even though it's kind of silly to talk about thriller as this really scholarly work, the reality is, is that it's actually essential to American society like that. That is a touchstone, a shared touchstone. And I don't think I don't think it's unimportant not to bring race into it again, but I don't think it's unimportant that the the man was black and that it was music that broke down that barrier for maybe some people to him. Very similar to Martin Luther King breaking down barriers with philosophy and religion and the ways he did it. What do you think about Thriller? I mean, you know what's so funny that I read about MJ? I learned a lot in researching for this episode. I didn't even realize prior to this, even after the success of Off the Wall and just that growing ascension and just evolving and seemingly getting, obviously being famous for a long time, but getting more and more famous, magazines like Rolling Stone were seemingly refusing to put a, do a cover story on him. And I think Thriller was Michael Jackson saying, well, you know what? You thought Off the Wall was good. Now you're gonna, it's going to be irresistible and you're going to have to adore me and you're going to have to you know, cover me in praise because every one of these is going to be a banger. We're going to do the music videos to go along with the, the most seminal works. And I love Thriller is such a time capsule for me because it's so interesting to remember MTV was only like a year old. Music television was only, you know, in its infancy. And as you said, most music videos at this time were promotional vehicles to put out an album. Very often times the band playing just a four or five minute montage of them playing their instruments, singing and, and, and playing. And sometimes they got artsy with the shots and the imagery as New Wave came into being and Devo and different things like that. But for the most part, they were just vehicles of the bands playing their music. This was the first storytelling video that I remember where it was like music video became an art form. It became another form of short film, really, is what it really became. And to be so thoughtful, Michael Jackson going out, getting a reputable feature film director in John Landis, already had a, a, a very famous filmography, just did American Werewolf in London a year prior, which is a really interesting blend, that film of comedy and horror. And Michael Jackson identifying that and going out really wanting to embody that in his music video and going out and getting John Landis to do the thing. And the first, maybe still, the song that you have to talk about in the same breath as the video, more than any other. You know, it's iconic, it's long, it's very theatrical and cinematic, as you said, Kyle, and it tells a story from, the, from front to back. The music itself doesn't kick in until minutes after the thing starts, and it was scary. That was the thing, as a, as a kid, of a nine-year-old going on 10-year-old kid in 1983. I think the video came out in December of that year. It was pretty, was pretty scary. Definitely channeled the American werewolf in London thing of the transforming werewolf where it looked painful. It was grotesque and a little bit gory, and it had that silver bullet American werewolf, Cronenberg-esque the fly type of transformation with the swelling mandibles and the fangs, bloody fangs coming out of the gums and the claws piercing through the human fingernails and the whiskers stabbing through the skin. Like it really, and you know, the, the dark atmosphere and things being shrouded in, in mist and shadow. It was kind of a scary thing. 
And it was fun at the same time. It really did channel that American werewolf in London vibe of something that was fun and also a little frightening, especially for a kid. You know, it was like every time it came on, I had to watch. And I think, you know, that at that spooky atmosphere and that thoughtful storytelling and very interestingly set in this kind of derelict rundown part of the city where you have the blue light coming in. It kind of looked like a proper send up to a Romero Night of the Living Dead zombie thing that came later and then compounding it with Vincent Price's voiceover and narration, one of the great horror voices, one of the great voices of all time. It was just really this entertaining, fun and upbeat while still being a little frightening thing. And again, like like Michael Jackson's music, I think transcending age, transcending musical tastes like his music. It was just good. It was just good stuff. And I think it cost like a half a million dollars and it was a huge thing. They had to get different entities. They had to get Showtime to pay for a little bit of it and whoever else was on board at that time, Pepsi or whoever it was. And the thing that's, you know, that we said earlier, Halloween would never be the same. It had a huge impact on Halloween, the same as like Michael Myers or Jason, Friday the 13th. I mean, it had that same type of thing where you can't have Halloween without hearing the song on the radio. Every DJ is going to put this on. People are going to perform it at the local pumpkin patches and stuff when they have their little shows, right? It's, it's, like, a, it's like a thing. It's like from 1983 on... It was like this was a big part of Halloween, and you know, of course, like we'll never forget it. It'll, I don't know if it'll ever go away. <laughs> yeah, it may, it, it may never. RB did write in about um, Vincent Price. He said, "Hey, bros, would the title track bang as hard without the spooky, silky narration of the legend Vincent Price for his intro and outro? Wow. Could you imagine a better voice to set the tone for what you're about to hear?" Kudos to him. He had a similar spoken word role in the Iron Maiden classic, "The Number of the Beast." Thanks oh, for all shit. you guys do. I forgot about that. I was thinking about. Famous animator Richard Williams, Vincent Price did a voice for The Thief and the Cobbler, which was Williams' opus. And he did the villain's voice, Zigzag. And I remember Richard Williams talking about him in the recording booth, Vincent Price, that he had this kind of weird St. Louis accent, which I never knew he was from that, that part of the country. And he had, and I think what part of his crazy intonation and the texture was sort of that St. Louis twang that he had but i mean one of the great you think back to the old horror movies i knew him from i think i knew vincent price from that brady bunch special right when he was it the episode oh, when like they when went the to fi- hawaii oh yeah the totem the, right yeah, yeah. The, the, the idol or whatever i think i knew vincent price from that but you know it was like yeah like everything about it the narration the spoken word the performance michael jackson's acting is pretty i think it's pretty good with his makeup and I love, you know what the other thing about that video? I watched it a few times for the episode. I love the fact that it takes that very cinematic ride of like, okay, it starts off, they're just watching a movie, then it gets scary, then it's okay again, then it ends with that wink, you know, and that nod where Michael Jackson's eyes are yellow, glowing like the werewolf again. It has that, has that nice little ride to it, which is like, and, and whatever it is, 15 minutes long or not even. So, and... It would open up doors too. I think about other emblematic cinematic videos like Guns N' Roses' November Rain, right? Something that was like mm, very yeah. high budget, very cinematic, but still didn't play out quite like Thriller where you had that little movie inside of it without any even music or dancing yet. 
you know, where it was like, it was, it was leading up to that. So a very rare breed. And when, you know, we had, we have amazing music videos to come, but this was the first one that really kicked the door open. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that this set a precedent that couldn't even really be reached by most acts that they wouldn't even try. Like the price of a mission would be too high. Also the cost of showing something that long on TV. That's it. That's when you know you have a really interesting marriage when MTV is willing to show your uncut 14 minute music video or whatever. And meanwhile, they could have played three other songs in that time and people were happy to listen to it. And I think that they also were one of the first it was it was a first cross media act in some way. I know that there was a mm. like they filmed and released a documentary about it, like the making of. And, and of course, we were talking about all the merchandise, but it's very it's got like a Star Wars flavor to it in some way where. It's it's very aware of in all of the different ways that it can get you very George Lucas in, in terms of its marketing where it's just ever present. And like you said, in the flea markets, it's there. You can see it. You can't avoid it. And around the same time as well. I think that's pretty interesting, too. I want to talk about mm-hmm. another one of these songs. We didn't talk about Billy Jean yet. Jake James Lugo wrote in and said, hey, there, Colin and Dagan. Do you have any thoughts about Michael Jackson's famous dance? The moonwalk. The crazy thing is that this wasn't really part of Billie Jean or the Thriller album when the song was released, but the move itself and the solo dance number during MJ's concerts have become iconic. Everyone knows the moonwalk for Michael Jackson, even though the move itself didn't originate from him. Have mm-hmm. either of you ever tried to do the moonwalk yourself for any reason in public or private? And don't lie. We've all thought about it at some point. Thanks a ton, as always. Keep up the great work and everything at Last Day Media and keep having fun. Thank you for writing in. Thank you, sir. So it's true that that move, he first broke out in a performance of Billie Jean, but not in the video, I don't think, or... Or maybe it wasn't. No, I don't think it was in the video. And then it became obviously synonymous with that particular song. Yeah, of course. I've of course, I've tried the moonwalk. I think everyone is amazed by his move, like the way his body moves and the strength and the I actually even more than the moonwalk, the the leaning move, you know, where they lean together. That seems that's nuts. That's like I don't even understand. I think there's some trickery to that, but I don't really understand like, it's so good. The choreography is so good. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. The, how cool is choreography? I wouldn't even know. Oh, my God. I don't even know where to begin. It's right? amazing. And then you're just like, yeah, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and it's going to work out great and blah, blah, blah. But what do you think about Billie Jean and what do you think about that that moonwalk? I think Billie Jean is so good and just a really, really amazing, honest. I remember being a kid and being like, is this what I, I think it's about? Like, it's yeah. just saying it. <laughs> no. It, you're just kind of it reminds me a lot uh, just a little bit later wham releases everything she wants and that's another which i love that song and that's another song where i'm like is this like you're just saying it you know very honest how could my good enough be good enough for two or whatever he says in that way song, right <laughs> yes it's like, and like it's like well i'm way too young to under like but i'm like i think this is very adult yeah you uh, get so it. what do you think about yeah what do you think about billy jean and what do you think about that that song the subject matter and of course the moonwalk i love you know i love this might be my favorite song on the album talk about the timelessness you think about this this album very 80s but just transcended time and space it doesn't feel now in 2022 80s it just feels good still which is amazing quality to have especially during that time coming out of disco a very specific flavor of music maybe even mix it up with the funk or the groove or the r&b like it's a very distinctive sound from back then later on we'd have new wave which sounds very 80s also and with the, the very specific 80s instruments like guitars and stuff. But there's something about this album, specifically this song, that's still so amazing. 
You got that driving beat, that bass line at the core of it. Of course, very soulful vocals from Jackson. I mean, first of all, I have to talk about the moonwalk. I'm old enough where the moonwalk was a rite of passage. You had to be able to do the moonwalk in the suburbs of New York. I was a little <laughs> bit of a break dancer. I was actually a pretty good break dancer. I wasn't going into the city and I'm putting down the cardboard on the sidewalk and doing head spins and stuff. But I was a pretty good break dancer. I actually practiced at it and I could do the moonwalk and I could do the forward moonwalk as well at a certain point. Now, if I did it, I'd probably break my ankles. But that was like a big thing. And I knew, you know, that back then we did think that Michael Jackson invented it. The advent and the popularity of breakdancing becoming, you know, crossing over into mainstream culture from a inner city subculture was in the offing. That was actually happening around the same time Thriller came out. But the fact, and I always wondered, like, did these inner city breakdancers, these B-boys, did they take exception to Michael Jackson making it big, but I mean, he was so good at dance. I mean, he, to hear professional dancers and choreographers, in fact, oh, I was watching the making of the Thriller video, and one of the big takeaways from that was watching the dance troupe and the dance instructors, the head dancers and choreographers of the Thriller video, working with Jackson and working with Landis, was hearing them say like, Michael Jackson comes in and we've been dancing, we spend tens of thousands of dollars to become professional dancers working our whole lives at it to make it to compete to get to this place to get to this dance floor to do a music video and a guy like michael jackson comes in and makes us look like amateurs that's how talented this guy just naturally gifted he was and apparently he did the same thing with music although he didn't read music at least at this point of his life or write music he would just go in and like mouth or hum a bass line to the musicians He'd be like, oh, I was thinking of this. Do, 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 do. He would write it in his head. They would play it on the guitar or the keyboard on the piano. And he just knew. He just instinctively knew what would work, the rhythm of it, the intonations, the way it would be edited down. And, you know, just, just to the clip, to the note, even though he didn't read, which is amazing. But, you know, this is one of the great, we know he's one of the great performers and dancers, right? We know he's, one, he's mesmerizing to watch that supreme talent, that genius, the dancing is magical. The stagecraft is magical. But again, I'm coming for the Michael Jackson vocals, that singing voice and that purity, that authenticity, that genuine emotion, right? And I think this song really embodies that. You know, you have that, you have that unrelenting beat, but it's that passionate, that passionate vocalizing. You know what I mean? That real pure emotion that comes from from MJ. It's just that this song is a perfect example of that. And then the music video was really iconic with him dancing on the sidewalk and the sidewalk sections lighting up as he yeah, it's went awesome. along, standing it's on awesome. his toes and all that kind of thing. Here's the thing that you said that I wanted to echo, Kyle. For me too, it was the same thing. I knew what this song was about. You know, now you could read, he grew up with four older brothers. This thing actually happened from time to time where their brothers would get cornered with a groupie or someone that they may or may not have been involved with and some scheming groupie, or maybe a groupie on the up and up, who knows, where this happened to his older brothers. But I didn't even know what sex was then. I, hmm. I've said this on another episode. Around this time, talk about channeling nine-year-old Dagan, I thought sex was laying on top of a woman and pushing her boobs down. <laughs> <laughs> So how did I know? At the same time, I knew what this song was about. 
So I was like, <laughs> like that rules. I don't know. Like, which was like, for some reason, like sex was like a cross between what it actually was and some sort of life-saving technique. I don't know where I got that from. Dude, that's so funny. Wouldn't it be, I mean, it'd be, I guess, somewhat inappropriate. I don't know how you would do it, but it would be funny to present that question to like 10-year-olds that don't know. Like, what? And like, kind of keep a straight face, like a straight affect, so they don't get insulted See, or like I think they don't get embarrassed. Scary, because they'll know now. Oh yeah, maybe they. They'll yeah, because I'd be like, what, like, what do you think sex is? <laughs> you know, like, or what, like, what do you think, like, all of these adult things are? But how would you even get those? There's answers? no Playboy it's magazines so in the woods anymore. They just go on. No, Google. that's it's so sad. It's actually yeah, that kind of yeah. Parent to really get that, but yeah, it's way too easy now. I mean, I'm sure my 11 year old knows too bad, exact. Man. I'm not sure he knows exactly, but from our conversations. He definitely knows more than I did it. Like he definitely knew. Did, he, he might knows know more than you know now. <laughs> it's quite possible. It's quite. But possible. yeah, I I find that very sad. I find I you know how I feel about about the sexualization of society. I'm so fucking over it. But it would be funny to like make fun of them by make fun of kids by being like <laughs> hearing the ridiculous things they say. But it would be it would be inappropriate too. But I I must say, as far as Billy Jean is concerned, I wanted to give a, a shout out to. And I actually looked this up. I was looking at the personnel of Billie Jean and uh, Leon Chancellor played drums on both this record and bad. So it's not the oh, same wow. guy, but there's a really good there's a, a Jackson's longtime drummer was a guy named Jonathan Moffat, who's known as Sugarfoot. And I actually found him on YouTube just incidentally because I follow some of these drum channels and I got to give a shout out to Billie Jean's drumming because Nothing is too complicated in, in the arrangement on any of these songs, but it's so it is so driving and solid and just lots of ghost notes. You know, like very simple, almost a little almost a little Caribbean, almost like and sure, sure. Certainly a very backbeat heavy. And I bring up Jonathan Moffat because th there are these drum videos of him playing, just just playing along with Billie Jean, just playing along with Thriller or some of these songs on a, on a drum channel. People should go look it up. Just a masterclass in simplicity and tightness on the drum kit. That's right? awesome. And just it, you play not you. We don't, I remember so vividly my best friend growing up, Mike Pope, his dad. I used to play. I played drums with Mike all the time, but he had another friend that played drums, too. So sometimes he'd come over with his kit and play. And I remember, his, you know, his dad making fun of him because he was like, he's always just wants to be up front. He's always doing fills and all these kinds of things. And you just kind of play the drums. Right. And I appreciate that a lot more. You just play the drums, you know, where you fit in this in the arrangement. And I really appreciate awesome. that about these arrangements. And that's all Quincy Jones, I think. But mm. shout out to Jonathan Moffat, even though he would play that stuff live. He wasn't on the record itself. I want to ask about some of the other songs that you enjoy yeah. on this on this day. Um, for me, as I said, I'm really in, I'm really into want to be starting something. This is a great song. This is actually co-written by Quincy Jones and Jackson. So it's kind of interesting. It's a it's a, not a rare collaboration on this album, but different than some of the others. I wonder if you what you think of that song, what you think of some of the others. And I got to know what your what song is you don't like mm. on this record. Because I don't I love Paul McCartney, but I find that girl is mine so strange. I find it very strange. I don't know what that song is. It doesn't fit. It's like, oh, we have Paul McCartney and Paul McCartney wants to do something. And of course, Paul McCartney has a very tight relationship with Michael Jackson. I mean, this goes all into the Apple Music stuff and everything that was sure. going on. And and Jackson owned the, the, the masters, I think, of Beatles records. And there's all sorts did, of crazy yeah. shit happening. So 
There's all, and I mean Apple Music, like the record company for sure, people that are sure. that don't know that that's oh, like yeah, the Beatles. Sure. <laughs> that was like the Beatles record company, not Apple, the computer company, which actually existed obviously at this time, but and was huge in its own right. But are what what other songs stick out to you for good or bad reasons on this record? Well, the girl is mine was an interesting one because obviously I love the Beatles, I love McCartney, and I understand on the album, got to have your ballad. It's a serviceable song, but brass tacks. You know what I realized when I listened to this track again, Kyle? I have to be honest. My first thought was, wow, this is the product of two absolute musical superpowers coming together. This is the song that you get. You know, it falls a little flat for me, being that the idea is this is the combined efforts of two of pop music's all-time legends. I mean, it's a Beatle and Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know, it's like... It's probably the most important Beatle and Michael Jackson. I would... (laughs) I I mean, really. I know that's contentious, but I don't know. I mean... mean, you some say it's, Paul, I, some say John. I, you know, in later years, I would go on to recognize George as being a very, yeah. a very important. We part can of that all equation. here. Let's say this: we all know it's not Ringo. <laughs> Poor Ringo. Feels so. It's bad. not Ringo. It's not him. It's like, why do we so feel so bad for Ringo? He's like probably one of the richest men. Yeah, I've always felt plan. bad for him though, because he wasn't the original drummer. So that's he, true. He does. He doesn't have the. It matters, even though he was there the entire time they were actually doing something. Yeah. For, for some reason, it just ma- I And you you hear stories about how he was sidelined, like they didn't even respect him. I'm pretty sure Lennon and McCartney were playing the drums on a lot of those songs themselves. I, and they could. That was the thing. You know, I, didn't I think that like they literally would go in and be like, all right, we're going to do it ourselves. Like when he doesn't. The gravitas. Do, yeah. yeah. They, only, they stuck. He stuck around by their kindness or whatever. But, I think so. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, I mean, obviously, it's a really cute formula. Right. That you have this sort of back and forth, this argument, this banter between Paul and MJ. And I get the cute gimmick of this double star power doesn't hurt for the song's sellability and all that. And I have to say, I love Paul McCartney's voice. I think he's one of the great voices. Helene argues with me about this. We were watching the Beatles documentary and I said, for me, Paul McCartney is one of those great voices. I just love his voice. And he might not be a Roy Orbison or one of the great crooners like like Sinatra, but there's something about the quality of his voice that's, it is very melodic, but also just, just the flavor. It's just, just, it's very McCartney. You know, you could always tell it's his voice. And I thought of too, like maybe it was a tryout because later on, say, 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 which is a single off of McCartney's 83 album pipes of peace. I had to, I had to look that up. Maybe this was a tryout for that. But then I read, Say 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 was actually recorded a year before The Girl Is Mine. So, and I love Say Say Say. I think that's a proper, catchy, high quality sort of showing of what the two are capable of together. I, I think that's a great song. And then, you know, you think of Ebony and Ivory with McCartney and Stevie Wonder later mm. on, which uh, which I think came in 82 as well. So, th- you know, those are much more successful. So... The girl what was McCartney nice doing at this time? Was it what, just what, not a great song? If that what, makes sense. It, was McCartney with Wings at this time? I guess is he that why he was have, so active? Yeah, that was already in the offing from the seventies, yeah. I think. Yeah. So yeah. I think yeah, I was just wondering like why he was doing so many collaborations at this point, especially after George died. So uh, I don't know. It's up to him to do. Yeah, that, it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation. Like he was, he's more on the forefront. Like right after the Beatles can never be like ever together again. I yeah. Mean, that's solidified in nineteen eighty. Yeah. yeah. By Sirhan Sirhan or whatever. The fuck <laughs> it is. I, so I want to give a shout out to Wanna Be Sartin' Something. The other song that I want to give a shout out here to is Human Nature. 
Mm. which is um has a there's a I'm, I'm, tr- I'm bringing it up here in my headphones you won't be able to hear it but oh but i'm um yeah is this it yeah that that song sounds mm, not modern but that song sounds like a new jack type song that you would hear in the late 80s or early 90s especially i'm not even going to try to replicate it but that 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 vocal thing he does that yeah they're like crying. you know like that's like really sorry for everyone out there but that was like really <laughs> i don't that's think it was like bad a, it wasn't bad that was i'm, I'm not gonna be able to ever get the tone but <laughs> but that sound that feels like a pm dawn song or something or like some turn of the 90s hip-hop song it might have even been maybe that's where i heard, that might be in something but you might i gotta give a shout out to that song it's super good Dude, that, it's so funny that you said that. I've wrote the same exact thing. This was one of those songs where I knew it, but going in and listening to it, I had wondered, like, what am I going to think of this? And it's really a soulful ballad. It's really Definitely. one of those things. I love the opening, such a distinctive sound to it. But I wrote the same thing. It really holds up. It's a product of the 80s that years later, decades later, doesn't sound 80s. It just sounds a little bit ahead of its time. And it really, again, that soulfulness that lack of artificiality, you really believe it. And what you're saying, what you just sang, I was, I wrote down that there were MJ's cries between verses. It's very, it's, it's, it's almost heart wrenching. You really feel it inherently. Like there's a pain there. There's a real believability. I love, I love soulfulness in music when something, when there's a sad song or the blues or just something that's melancholic in nature. And it really feels that way that you almost think, Yes, the musicians performing, they're in the booth, they're trying to get a high quality recording of something, but there's a real tangible pain behind it. You know, something that was real, something that really happened to them to evoke that sadness. I get that out of this song. And, you know, like finding out, this was another cool thing about doing a topic like this, like finding out that Eddie Van Halen played that guitar riff on Beat It, to know the Toto guys not only wrote this song and planned it for one of their albums, but that Quincy Jones sort of optioned it and said, I think Michael could sing this song and it would work. And just to have that, you know, awesome. to have that sense of like, this is going to work to kind of, again, cross genres, taking a Toto vehicle and giving it to Michael Jackson and then just knowing inherently that it's going to work and spend the money to make this thing happen. And, you know, kind of a banger on the album. You, th- you talk about Thriller and Beat It and Billie Jean, but this is a good song. Yeah. I mean, that's the fourth song in that run. So. It almost, you know, it almost keeps going. There you go. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. I love the stories. I mean, it's very common, but it's like my one of my favorite Madonna songs is La Ila Bonita. It's a great song. And that was actually written for Michael Jackson. And you hear a lot of different things for that are always like, oh, we pitched it to this guy, but they ended up picking it up. I didn't we wrote it for that. this That's intention, crazy. but that is going to this guy. And we're, okay. We did this. And so there, I love that kind of stuff. And it's because songwriters are just circulating their music. And like I said about Toto earlier, Toto plays pretty prominently in at least personnel from Toto play pretty prominently in Michael Jackson's 80s records and 70s and 80s records because those guys were like studio rats. That's again how they met. I fucking love Toto. People should go go listen to Toto. Don't be a dumb. Go listen do to Toto. Do you think so that and you may know this kind of stuff just from being a musician, Kyle, like do they did Toto get a cut like if they were instrumental on a track, did they get a piece of record sales from that and stuff like that? Only if you have this is actually probably the most important thing in all of music business is writing credits. Okay. 
depending it very specifically there's a whole code of there's like a law basically like a code you have to you have to kind of submit things to a to a database i only know this by the way because ramon ramon's my best friend and he's a musician and he music industry guy so he's explained all this stuff to me but so it's very important like when you go i always wondered this when i was a kid i was like why does it always say like after a song in parentheses like and i'm like so annoying like who gives a shit and you know no offense but like put it in the put it in the liner or something absolutely and the reason that is is because that's like who's making them the, the money like every time say there's like five co-writers for a song like every time that song enters radio play like they get you know a fraction of a penny each or whatever and that's just the way it works and then people get paid more flat fees for their studio work because it's all about contribution to the actual product like who wrote the lyrics who wrote the music and it's really important that everyone figures that out some bands i think tool might be one of these bands they don't do that like they give the, all four of them get credit for all of it, even though that's probably not true. But then there are bands like 311 where you can see that the music is all written or mostly written by the drummer, sometimes by one of the singers and that the lyrics are all written by the singers. Right. Okay. So. So in that financial constellation, it it is likely that the drummer is getting more money than the guitars or the basses for the record sold. They're getting you know, fees for play and then they're making most of their money probably equally on touring and on merch and okay. all the other things that they do. Okay. You know? yeah. yeah. So that's how it works. Interesting model. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah. it's in, That's why music was often looked at as the during the writer's strike in TV and movies, people were often looking at that being like, there's a there's a whole model in music that is codified that ensures that you, because ba- I don't know if you see this, it happens all the time. Bands sell their music. Like literally sell the rights to their songs. This was what was so controversial about the Neil Young, Joe Rogan thing. It was like Neil Young doesn't even own his music. So it's very easy for him to bandy it about because he sold it. He doesn't own it. That's interesting. I didn't even think of that. He sold it for like $150 million or whatever. Okay. And um, in in The Offspring, a band I grew up loving, they, they famously sold all their music too. They can still tour on it. They still can make new music and all of this, but they sold the rights to it. And so the the writers... Uh, strike during TV and movies, they were like, we need to have a thing like that. Like, why aren't we getting residuals for the, the ideas? We made them like we created the ideas. It, right. Someone f- shooting a camera on it's pretty important, but we're the ones who wrote it. And that's how they were pointing the music as one of the touchstones for that. So an interesting thing to think about, Very especially because we just did Battlestar season four, which was, of course, interrupted by the writer strike. Yeah, there you go. Um, I wanted to say just about Pretty Young Thing and also go back to The Girl mm-hmm. Is Mine, just specifically the lyrics, the reason that the girl, the thing about the, the girl is mine that bothers me is the, the use of the, the I, I'm not kidding, the use of the word doggone. Like, I can't believe that they thought that that was good. I, I want to just be in that room and be like Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson. No, like, what are you doing? Right. The doggone. And I was singing it to Micah because I'm like, listen to how easy it would be to replace this. I'm like, the, the sexy girl is mine. The lovely girl is mine. That there girl is mine. Like I just kept singing it over and over again, and somehow they kept they got to that doggone girl is mine. I'm like I can't. It I just can't pretty, with that song. Right. It's not even channeling like parlance from that time period. This is no. like what are you in like Mississippi in the Mississippi year, Delta yeah, in 1980s Mississippi? Or yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. They missed it by like a matter of decades. Was, yeah. So I found that really weird, but pretty young thing, a little rough to hear. Like these days like through the, the the lens i don't mind it i guess but what do you think about that song that when i listened to that the first note i wrote was that it feels like a return to jackson five michael it feels like a little naive a little more innocent sweet 
And I didn't, first of all, I didn't remember this song at all until I heard it again. And then I realized I know Michael Jackson, one of his uh, strategies with this album was to sort of break out of disco and sort of evolve pop music to the next level because there was such a kickback against disco by this, largely by this period. And that the fact that it has a, this song has a very disco feel to it. I mean, there's a little funk in there, a little funk spirit, but it does have that, for as poppy as the music is, it does have that disco feel. But I, you know what I also thought about this song? Like a Jackson 5 song, has that purity or that innocence. It's kind of like, it's, it's mindless fun. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't have the substance of a Billie Jean. It doesn't have the thoughtful you know, composition of Thriller or something that's iconic. But I you know I found it to be a perfectly serviceable song. It just, in the presence of these other, again, bangers, it's like, it pales in comparison, obviously. You need to have something that's, you know, you need to have something that's a little stronger. But, you know, unfortunately, it kind of suffers in the company that it suffers with on this, being back-to-back with these other songs on this album. You know what song was a surprise for me, though, Kyle? One of the only two tracks out of the nine that wasn't a single off of this album was Baby Be Mine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an over number two on the album. It's an overlooked track comes right after Want to Be Starting Something, which is Collins, one of Collins favorites. But when I listened to it to get my thoughts for the episode, it was one of those songs where you're not even sure you heard it before, you know, and there was something refreshing about that because it's nice to reflect on an MJ song that isn't absolutely drilled into your skull, first of all. And it's maybe a little bit on the generic side. Again, pales in comparison to its company on the album, but it still does have that MJ energy to it. I, I recommend you guys going to listen to it. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel like an also ran. It, it feels like a perfectly good song. And one of the only songs, and it has the horns behind it. Again, Colin said it earlier. Has, it feels like the genuine article. It feels like there's real production, real instruments, real orchestration behind the music. But one of the only songs on the album that has female backup vocals which I think makes it stand out a little bit too, which I enjoyed. So that was that that was probably the biggest surprise for me because I was like, all right, when we get to these two of the nine songs that weren't singles, do I even remember these things? You know, maybe they played it on the radio every so often or something, but right. You know, but yeah, but that was another one where it was like, okay, yeah, this is a pretty decent song. I'm glad I took the time to listen to it a couple of times. Yeah, me too. I, I actually when I went to listen to it, I was listening to it last night. I was playing. I'm playing a tactical RPG, so you don't really need to listen to it. Oh, yeah. So I just kept listening to the song over and over or the music over and over again. Kept going through it. And for some reason, every time Wannabe starting something stopped, I expected the girl is mine to come on. And then I was like, baby be mine would come on. Oh, yeah. This comes first. Right. So it's it's a nice tight 42 minute record. Nine songs. I actually think it's a little short, but I think it's not really short. It could probably be a few minutes longer to be average, I guess, but it's it seems short because it's only nine tracks. But the, the song, some of the songs are long. I mean, want to be starting something that's over six minutes long. I mean, if you had a more average track listing with that 42 minute runtime, you probably get more like 12 tracks out of it. So I think it seems short, but it's a really wonderful record. And I wanted to finish with this question. We can, of course, talk about it, whatever you want as well. Joel Hernandez wrote in and said, hi, Moriarty bros. Hi. Do you consider this album a perfect album mm. with so many hits and new ideas? There's no denying that it's a monumental album in the history of pop music. But is it a perfect no skip type of album? My answer to this is no. From my perspective, it's it's not a no skip type of album because I wouldn't listen to a few of these songs probably anymore. But it is like I said earlier, a seminal work. There's no denying its influence. There's no denying it is fantastic. And I assume that many people would say that, yeah, it is a perfect record. 
it's probably a pretty common answer for a favorite record. So it's certainly an mm. important album, but I wouldn't consider it a perfect album. But I'm very glad that I I decided to do the the song that we would do this because it that didn't force me, but it just convinced me to go back and really listen to it in context as opposed to just pulling tracks out of it, which is what I usually would do and then put that in a, my epic nonsensical playlist and then something would just come up every once in a while so <laughs> how do you feel about joel's question about this being a perfect album or a no skip type about no it's a great it's a, it's a super good question it's a fair question and you know something important to say in this conversation obviously the greatest selling album i think still right of all time one of the biggest so, yeah. money makers of all time what really is important in this conversation at the core of things brass tacks is that it's timeless there's so much timelessness to this album it's it's it was recorded in an age where so much of the music of this period came out to feel like the 80s. It got dated over time. It became stale. It became it fell out of style. And the fact that that this trend the quality of this music transcends all of that and there's a timelessness, that's really the important thing to say. Now, is it a perfect album? No. I think as Colin said, there's a few tracks on here that you probably wouldn't go out of your way to listen to. I think Billy Jean and Thriller specifically are two of the probably the great for me two of the greatest songs of all time that's a big part of the conversation and weights it really in one direction but the last track on the album the lady in my life is i would argue a pretty bad song and feels like why did they even put this on here it feels almost like filler i didn't know this song at all one of those songs kind of cool in a way because wow is this a michael jackson song i actually never heard and if i did i forgot about it kind of fell off my radar but you know a vehicle of mj's that doesn't you know it almost takes it's weird because it almost takes on like an al green or marvin gay feel to it or curtis mm. mayfield those r&b crooners you know that as my friend nino would put it that titty kissing music you know it almost kind of falls into that camp which is not typically a michael jackson style of music and i think as a result of that because it's really not this type of song really just doesn't click with Michael Jackson. It doesn't feel like it's in his wheelhouse. And I think as a result of that, it feels a little hollow. It feels like a little bit like he's trying too hard. And that soulfulness just isn't there. You know, that believability, that relatability, all that kind of thing. And uh, I think it's it's gimmicky for Michael mm. Jackson to try this. And it could have been an attempt, especially coming yeah. on the end of the album. Like, let's see if this will work for subsequent outings you know our next album maybe we'll, we'll try a little bit more of this or whatever so you, you can't fault them for experimenting i actually like that they tried something different but you know a, a definitely a song that's completely forgettable yeah i agree with you the last songs on albums are always hit and miss sometimes they really can be emotional or hard or set the mood i like when it gets a little softer at the end goes into a little coda kind of situation and can you think but, of a good last song on the album i can't you know so much better than me oh for me i can think of a lot of last, you can great last good songs yeah for bands i love like 311 and dredge and and yeah those kinds of things the they kind of go out on a high note yeah the, um dredge on el cielo um the Canyon Behind Her is the last song on that record. That's a that, great that song. song. That song is awesome. That's a heartbreak. That song, sh that song should almost be the first song in the album. I don't really know what that was all about. But yeah, that song's awesome. 311 has a bunch of last songs that are great. One, two, three is a great last song from Grassroots. Sometimes Jack's Rule the Realm from Evolver is another really great song. But yeah, I, li I like the uh, I like finding good. I, I love the organization of records and it just doesn't seem to really matter anymore. Not only art rock and and 
concept records, but just generally why you put things in a certain order, why a single is usually towards the top. You don't want it to be the first song, but the second or third song so that people drive through and get to it. And yeah, but but you don't listen to records like that anymore. So it's it doesn't even matter. You exactly. still literally be about moving a needle around or that you didn't want to fast forward or your eight track or your tape. Once CDs came out, it, it mattered less. And now I think in the digital ecosystem, MP3s and all that iPods and all that, that kind of ruined it forever. But sure. Dig, anything, yeah. anything left unsaid before we end this episode? looking back on the 1982 Michael Jackson record thriller. You know, I thought this was a nostalgic idea I wanted to bring up that I thought about in the throes of putting together my research and listening to the music and watching the videos and stuff is that something I realized for as important as this album was to me and getting on board of the whole Michael Jackson train and wearing the pin and the jacket and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid and doing the dance moves and just being a complete MJ fanboy at that time, little nine-year-old Dagan. I never owned this album. I didn't have the cassette. I didn't have the vinyl. I don't think mom or dad actually owned this specific album. Um, they probably maybe felt like a little, they were a little too old for it, even though they would bump mm. the music. This came on the car radio. No one was changing Thriller or Billie Jean or Beat It. Everybody would leave that on and listen to it. And never even downloaded it later illegally on Napster or anything like that. And it really speaks to the time. I mean, I was young. It was before I owned a boombox or started getting my own cassettes and going to the music store. And just, just before all this happened with, we talk about that on a recent episode, but that, for me, that was Duran Duran that got me into buying my own music and all that kind of stuff. Come just a little bit later. We missed it by a year or two. But isn't that interesting and really speaks to a time that this album could be so important to me and be such a big part of my life that I actually didn't even need the album at this time. We, were, we heard it on the radio all the time. We saw the music videos on early MTV. And it really speaks to how things have evolved over the decades. Like you were just saying, with the, the, just the nature of music, buying music, listening to music, Napster, Apple Music, Spotify now, all these things, right? YouTube. But it was so different only four decades ago, three or four decades ago, that it's amazing how far things have evolved and you know maybe you would argue not in a positive direction but the fact of like having sub something that's such a tangible part of your childhood that you never even owned it i owned more michael jackson's stuff than i did the source material and that's just the way it was back then which is such a funny thought it is interesting it's it's interesting the nexus of time and what you're saying is interesting too because again to the point it's just not a time when you can go on Napster and download a song or have TiVo. I'm even talking about 90s technologies, right? Sure. Like it just wasn't even it wasn't even possible. OK, so Dig Super Thriller. Fun. Really great conversation. We'll do more albums. I'm really excited to do that. We'll continue to mine the great wealth of rock rap, you know, all the other different things. Be awesome. Rap rock, maybe. <laughs> no, I won't do that. I won't do that today again, but we'll do all the we'll do all the classics and uh, not all the classics. We'll start getting into some classics, do more of these. So obviously you can use Patreon, patreon.com slash last day media to let us know, suggest the various musical topics you might like amongst others. We owe you a lot of game topics. We're going to be getting into those oh, soon again. We're doing um, it. So really looking forward to that as well. Thank you for your support. Dave, as we end this episode of Knockback. Oh, one other thing. Mm. Thriller is available on Spotify and all the other music services. Just go on YouTube and listen to it for free if you want. You have to be a dumb kid that fell out of a tree and hit your head on every branch <laughs> on the way down and not know. Hopefully it wasn't the ugly tree. Would you no. rather fall out of the ugly tree or the stupid tree? That's a hard question. <laughs> or hard both. Question. That would be bad. Oh, man. I Nobody should have to fall out of both. I fell out. It was like a pachinko thing where I was falling out of the ugly tree and then it knocked me into another tree, which was the <laughs> ugly tree. And I or the uh, stupid tree. The pachinko uh, images. 
right on. Thank you. You nailed it. D- Dig, uh, let's end with a dad joke like we always do. All right. Do. This one just came through from our friend, Brian Henniger. He slid into my DMs with this one just what? Nice. Th- less than three hours ago. This is wow. fresh off the presses, guys. Nice. Kyle, a woman tried to cut off her man's penis, but ending up just cutting his thigh. She's been charged with a Mr. Wiener. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. Not bad. A little Lorena Bobbitt. A little Bobbitt esque. A little yeah. yeah, a little cringy. You yeah. might cross your legs reading that. But yeah, go for all of our younger listeners, uh, go read about Lorena Bobbitt. Or don't. Good stuff. Who cut no, off her but husband's dick? Yeah, but did who cut off her <laughs> husband's dick and then it was sewed back on. Oh my god. They had remember cops had to go like on the side of the road and look for it. It was like and some weird it. shit. It was it was crazy. It man. was laying I, next to some slurpy cup on the <laughs> shoulder of the fucking highway. <laughs> God, good stuff all right my friend thank you for your hard work as always appreciate you thank you all out there for your love kindness and support of all things last day media knockback etc we'll see you next time for more until then goodbye beat it knockback a retro and nostalgia podcast is a product and trademark of last stand media and collins last stand llc and is recorded from central virginia and the philadelphia suburbs usa the show was conceived by and is produced by me colin moriarty my co-host is dagan moriarty Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Stephen Innerfield, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Knock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Nuclear Prostate, Jonas Young, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Benjamin Muma, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen Ruley, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Isabella Hope, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Tronge, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Greek Thunder, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Zal Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Cruxes, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cottle, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan Arkitredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Dave Bostic, Stewie108, Patrick Montgomery, Daryl Rodriguez, Damon W., Fat Houdini, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algret, Dominic, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholiger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Brent Linquist, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.